You're listening to an Anderson Entertainment production. This episode, we interrupt this broadcast to bring you a fab fact. We are fighting to clear our name in the randomizer. And we're fighting cancer spectrum style with Lloyd Scott. Core. All coming up in Pod 253. Of the Jerry Anderson Potty Potty Podcast. Don't worry about Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson and Richard James. Two hundred and fifty-three. Yeah, yeah, I won't, I won't, I won't say that again. And you're poddy, poddy, calling poddy, it Poddy Podcast. Poddy, poddy, no, podcast. I'm sorry, I don't know what came over me. Uh, all right, yeah, Dicky, Dicky. Yeah, all right, Dickie Dickie James. No, no, I really regret it now. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I would. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit weird, but uh, anyway, no, it's yes. actually the Jerry Anderson Podcast. That's right. That's why we're here. Number two five three. Is it? it yes, it right. is. Ooh. Uh, I'm Jamie Anderson. And I'm Richard James. And also joining us in a bit is Chris Dale. Oh, yes. What does he do? He does the randomizer. Oh, what's that? Well, he's got a machine that randomly picks a random episode of a random Jerry Anderson show, and he says things about it in a very entertaining and informative fashion. Ah, but before we get to that, what else have we got coming up? What's first? Well, every day that we do this podcast, yeah. I have a book of fab facts, which I present to you, and then we read a fab fact from it. And the, the, fab, um, the facts are always fab, and everyone enjoys them. And what comes next? Uh, well, I believe that uh, there's a thing called the Jerry Anderson News, where we oh, yeah. tell the podsterns about all the things that are happening in the Jerry Anderson universe, including new things and old things and offers and products right? and goodies, etc., and events. Wow. Uh, but what might happen after that? Uh, well, we've got an interview. We always have right. an interview or a feature of some sort. Um, and this time we've got a charity marathon runner, Lloyd Scott, who is doing okay. something very, very special uh, with this year's London Marathon. Oh, exciting. And uh, in between all of that, what might we expect to hear? Well, I guess probably emails and messages and tweets and comments from the Podstrons from around the Jerry Anderson universe. Does that sound right. about right? Yeah, great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then that'll be well, it after the randomizer at the end, of course. So, uh, should we head straight on into the first item from the podcast? Oh, yes. This is weird. I feel very uncomfortable. But how how has this happened? Uh, Yeah. Okay. What's that first section, Richard James? It's Fab Facts. Now, time for this week's Fab Facts. Right, sorry, I've just got to shake that off because yeah, it was a bit strange, wasn't it? Strange way to start. Yeah, can we, can we go back to normal for next week, please? <laughs> yeah, I think we will. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so getting us back into the swing of things. Yes, I've got a book of fab facts. Oh, deep joy! There it is. Don't worry. Uh, oh yeah, not it's too soon to shout fab because oh, okay. every week, Postrons, as you may or may not know, depending on how familiar you are with the Jerry Anderson podcast, mm. I flick through the book. Richard shouts fab at a random moment, which stops me upon a random page, and randomly mm-hmm. upon that random page, very much like the randomizer. In fact, oh, uh, yeah, there is hopefully a fab fact. So, yes, hopefully, Richard James, are you primed and ready to cry fab? Born primed and ready to cry fab. <laughs> That was greatly booming, that. Uh, Well, here come the pages. 
Fab. <laughs> oh, what was that? A little <laughs> dribble at the end. And there was no dribble at the end, thank you very much. <laughs> okay. What an accusation. <laughs> How dare you? No, there was no, no dribble. I think they just must have missed, missed, must have been a weird, soundy artifact right. thing. Anyway, really? Richard James, how yes. many episodes of Thunderbirds were there? How many episodes of Thunderbirds were Well, I suppose there's any fan worth his or her salt will be able to tell you there were about well, 32 plus two films. Correct. Is that right? Well, let me just stop you there. Hmm. Were you aware that from the mid-1960s all the way until the mid-2010s, you might have seen 64 episodes, or possibly even more, depending on where you lived. How is such a thing possible? Well, this fab fact has to do with the curious byproduct of each episode of Thunderbirds running for 50 minutes. So Mm. although Thunderbirds was a family show, the series was obviously uh, also suitable for broadcast as children's programming. Mm. But most children's programs don't run any longer than 30 minutes. Sure. A commercial half hour being 22 or 25 minutes. Mm. So to provide broadcasters with a version of the series that fit the 30-minute time slot, every episode of Thunderbirds was re-edited by AP Films into a two-part version. Ah. So aside from being split into two halves, the most notable addition to these two-part versions was a, was a recap added at the beginning of the second part, written and narrated by the one and only legendary Shane Rimmer. Aha. Which, coincidentally, was a contributing factor in his being asked to write for Captain Scarlet and subsequent Anderson shows. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, you might think that perhaps the two-part versions were only ever seen as repeats once everybody had seen the original 50-minute episodes, but actually, for several reasons in the UK, the two-part versions represented the show's premiere broadcast. Mm. So in the Granada region, for instance, uh, the two-part version was the first exposure viewers in October 1965 received to the series, albeit with both parts airing in the same evening, <laughs> in two right. slots. Yeah. Uh, but that had the exciting ITN news plonked in the middle. <laughs> uh, making things even more confusing is the fact that for a couple of months in the first half of 1968, Granada aired 10 Thunderbird stories as three-part stories that they had edited themselves to fit what? a gap in their schedule. So each episode wow. would probably be, probably have only been about 17 minutes long. Gosh, right. <laughs> now, yeah. since the three-part versions of Thunderbirds were created by Granada rather than AP Films, they are probably, probably lost to time. However, yeah. the two-part versions of the show were aired all around the world, and legend has it that they do still survive somewhere in the archives to this day. Although, Ooh. aside uh, from the Shane Rimmer recaps, there's not much reason for us to see them, to be honest. Uh, sure. But in countries like Canada and Australia and others, Thunderbirds has continued to be broadcast in a two-part version for many decades. The reason for this is much the same as it was back in the 1960s. Broadcasters wanting to schedule Thunderbirds in a children's slot, but only having a half-hour window available, it was perfect for them, right? So, uh, yeah. perhaps, though, they just like the idea of uh, being able to double the number of episodes that they can show. So it feels like a bigger acquisition. I don't know. But mm-hmm. initially, the two-part versions were shown internationally, uh, and they were the ones that were created by AP Films. But as the years have gone by, and better quality copies of the episodes have come along, some channels have resorted to creating their own two-part versions, with varying degrees of success. <laughs> so, Posterons, we want to know if you've had any experience of primarily watching Thunderbirds as a two-part story rather than a single episode. What country did you see them? When? 
where, how, what channel, what was it like? Let us know well, immediately. Gosh. Podcast yes. at jerryanderson.com. So uh, broadcasters are pretty free to do whatever they want with their acquisitions, are they? Chop them up, show them out of sequence. There's I mean, I would no... say less so now. Uh-huh. I, I bet you, if, if you you know, if the BBC acquired a show uh, and then said to the uh, the production company or the distributor, "Oh, we're going to chop these up into you know yeah. five minute episodes," they'd probably yeah. get in trouble. There'd probably be something yeah. contractual. But I, I guess the older um, apps, yeah. yeah, made perfect yeah. sense for them to do that. Yeah, so, I suppose. Yeah. So there must there must be tens of different va- variants of Thunderbirds episodes all around the world from these two and part two and three part versions. So. Mm. Mm. There you go. Yeah. yeah, so let us know, Postrons, if you've seen the two-parters, if they maybe were your first experience or not. Uh, email us, podcastjerryanderson.com. Tweet us, hashtag uh, Jerry Anderson Podcast, And also tag me. I'm Jamie Anderson, him, Rich Den oh, James, or him over there, hang Chris on, Dalek. Hang on. Wow, okay. Yeah. <sighs> well done. Yes. Anyway, um, that's the end of it, isn't it? I think so. Good. Well, Unless there's another part. No, is there two parts no, to this? No, this, is, sure? this was a one part. Oh, okay. Uh, about two parts. Okay. I see. Yes. So that is the end of this week's... Two-part two part fact! Yes. <laughs> Almost, I thought you were going to say two-bit fact then. Yeah, but, uh, well, yeah. Two-part yeah. was fine. Cotton pitten two-bit fact! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, please, when you put this on the YouTube channel, though, do put it up in two parts. <laughs> <laughs> with a link between the two. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Now, uh, over... Look, I don't know if you can see in the corner there, Jamie, there's a bulging post bag this week. Yeah, so it's posit- positively spilling out on the floor, isn't it? It is. Uh, so here's one from Big Al, who says, Hello, you lovely podcastering people. Hello, it's Big us, Al. Sergeant Major Zero, we are. Me and the lads was wondering if that Jamie fella could give us a sneaky preview of what's coming up for Terrorhawks Day on the 10th of October. Gosh, well, this is a... Uh, yeah, uh, quite a way ahead will there for instance be one of them fab live thingies what you does oh and is there any news on that lovely Miss Kate Kestrel spin-off reboot revamp thingy tar awfully and such Sergeant Major Z- no no he says it's just Big Al oh and oh, how was Richard Windsor Davis impression he says I assume he's just done one reading this out oh oh, oh, oh predictable, well, predictable. I, I might have done uh, you're all welcome I'm so sorry whichever is applicable he he Big Al well, thanks, Big Al. Uh, I yeah. can't tell you anything about what's coming up uh, or oh. give you any additional updates because um, it's all secret. So there you is go. It? Yeah, that's helpful, isn't it? <sighs> After all that, I did the impression and everything. I know you did, but it was worth it for the impression. Oh, right. But then, no, there will no. be stuff. There's stuff being created right at this very moment. That's all no. I can tell you. Now, can I just interrupt you, James? Because yeah. you have managed to get nearly halfway through this podcast without yeah. mentioning what happened last week. Well, and I, I, I was waiting for you to mention it. I know. That, well, I thought you were doing it because you were going to make a big thing of it. And, oh, I've not said anything <laughs> even though it was So, yes. C- can we touch on this now? Go on. I think we should, yes. Space precinct oh. in high definition. <laughs> well, I never. Uh, who thought that would ever be a thing? Yeah. Well... It's happened. Uh, mm-hmm. It's available on, on BritBox and ITVX Premium. Yeah, uh, it. And it looks great. Now, uh, if you've not seen this or heard the news, then Postron, where have you been? Mm. Uh, but uh, Now, sadly, the film elements from Space Precinct are apparently lost to time and yep. poor administration. Lost not to time to us. kill. I shall... Oh, very good, very good, very oh. good. Yes, they failed to protect and survive, survive. them. them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, let's not do that. Uh, But we did recover, rediscover and recover the Digibeta Tape Masters. Now, nobody's actually remastered from the tapes for a long, long time. So the versions that have been available until now have been rather murky at best, I would say. Yeah, yeah. So 
Using the latest in artificial intelligence-driven upscaling, the lovely people at ITV Content Services remastered, uh, reworked these episodes, and I think they look pretty damn good, to be quite honest. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, not quite as good, maybe, as a 16mm reconstruction if we'd actually had the 16mm yeah, legs back and like reconstructed that's it. Never going to happen, is it? Exactly. So, this is yeah. the best it's ever going to look, and I think yeah. it looks really good. I, I mean, I've been enjoying watching it so much. Um, seeing the sort of the clarity and even seeing them signing forms with Myros, uh, which yes, feels so in retro in the future. <laughs> but yeah. there we go. Maybe there's a return yeah. to to paper uh, for yes. some software or you know AI Absolutely reason. Absolutely right. Yeah, who exactly. Who knows? Who but, cares? Yes. No. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but no, I'm very excited about it. It's lovely to see it get a new lease of life, and we'd love to hear if you've been watching it. Uh, podcast jerryanson.com. But Richard, how do you feel about this restoration all these years later from a show which I mean, you probably don't even remember and means very little to you. No, gosh. Uh, so I was in space precincts, are you saying? Uh, apparently I, I, so, I, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. Well, it does feel amazing. I mean, it's always strange. You know, it is, it is almost 30 years ago now. It is It is strange and it still has a sort of a life, even before these new, wonderful, upscaled versions were released. But I, I'm hoping perhaps it might bring a new audience to space precinct that a few people might consider to be a sort of a, a neglected jerry anderson gem yeah i think so might convince a few people to have another look and maybe enjoy it yeah i think it will do just that because you know, uh, i mean i'm sure it'll it'll cause a few raised eyebrows as well because it's, it's a, a little of its time oh gosh yeah i mean some of some of haldane's lines yeah oh, yeah. yeah that's right wow very groan worthy oh they uh, really are yeah but yeah bear in mind it was you know 30 years ago and uh, we were just saying the lines that were put in front of us <laughs> And then being dubbed over. That's well, yes, for the most part. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, no, I'm very excited about it. Uh, let us know, Podstrons, if you've been watching. And if not, then pop along to BritBox or ITVX Premium to watch for yourself. Yeah, amazing. And yeah, also, I just do that. would you like a physical copy? Would you like a, a Blu-ray? It's something that we could uh-huh. maybe look into uh-huh. for next year. We'd love to, okay. to hear from you. Because next year will be the 30th, 30th anniversary. anniversary. I know. <gasps> Isn't that bonkers? Ooh, well, 30th anniversary of Space Precinct, 60th yeah. anniversary of... Uh, Stingray. Right. Amazing. Gosh, big year next year, then. It is, it is, mm. it is well bonkers. Anyway. Yeah, back to the post bag. Yes, back to the post bag. Sorry for the distraction, but no, I couldn't hold it in any right. longer. I noticed. Uh, Philip has got in touch to say, Hi, Jamie and Richard. I feel I need to pass on my appreciation on the recent release of UFO Breaking Point from Big Finish. I honestly believe this set of episodes are the best form of drama I've listened to or watched in Ooh. years. Oh. The characterization and performances of the main cast and how each character interacts with each other sounds natural, realistic, and very captivating. The music and sound design of this set is excellent with how the music is starting to be used in the same way as the TV series, Mm. helping the audience know the scene locations with specific music cues. And lastly, without spoiling the ending, says Philip, uh, the writing is exceptional. You can really tell a lot of heart and soul went into this set, as the last episode is an emotional gut punch in the best way possible. I just hope it's a matter of when rather than if more stories are to come, as I can't wait to hear what happens next. May I also ask, says Philip, are there any more audio stories coming from Anderson Entertainment after Thunderbirds Fire and Fury? Is there going to be audiobooks of Intergalactic Rescue 4 and 5 Star 5, the Doomsday Device? Thank you from Philip. Well, Philip, 
These are mm. all great questions. Mm. I can't answer all of them, but I'm really glad mm-hmm. you enjoyed UFO. Nick and I really enjoyed writing those, so I'm really glad that it um, yeah. struck a chord for you. Yeah. There are more audio stories coming, yes. Uh, there are scripts being written in the background and uh, things being recorded later in the year. Um, Wayne Forrester has recorded IGR4. We just haven't got round to editing it and uh, preparing it for download yet, but I'm sure that will I be see. not too far away. Yeah, good. Uh, and others, uh, let's see. Yeah, maybe. Okay, but yeah, um, yeah. there's a lot of things going on, and we're all um, silly busy, but you know, making progress and making things for you to hopefully enjoy. Indeed. Uh, Jed Thompson says, hi, what I love about hi. the Jerry Anderson podcast is the banter between, between J.B. Anderson and Richard oh, James. Really? Yes, I think it's just so funny and hilarious. Well done. You make me cry with laughter, says Jed. Gosh, oh, well, at least it's cry with laughter and not crying with anything yes. else. I mean, you say banter, it's just how Jamie and I talk to each other, even in the flesh, isn't it? <laughs> you could actually just record us. Yeah, uh, at the bar somewhere. Yeah, yeah, pretty much the same. same. Yeah, uh, Simpsons Clips 24, aha, says, hello, Richard and Jamie, Simpsons Clips 24 here, and I reckon what Jerry was cooking in his Panderson ah, a yes. couple of weeks ago, uh, was that the first time that's been done, he says, was stuffed for his jacket potato, beans, coleslaw, etc. Well, you don't cook coleslaw in a pan, do you? Strange, isn't it? No. Yeah. yeah. I, okay. I don't think it was a coleslaw pan, that's Yeah, fine. no, uh, on a similar theme, Paul Hyder from China says, I guess he was cooking Kedgeri. Oh, Paul. <laughs> right, that's you in timeout for a week. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, Dave got in touch to say, hi, chaps. Regarding the kit bits used on Jerry Anderson shows. Ah. Yes, I think this was a fab fact, wasn't it, fairly recently? Yes, it was about, um, mm. what do they call? I've forgotten the name. It was a great name. I want to uh, say the, Ghoulies, but it's not. Nurbles or Burbles. Greeblies. Greeblies, there you go. Yes, not Ghoulies. Sorry. Oh, dear. Well, Dave says, probably the most famous would be the Airfix Girder Bridge Kit. Yes, which was everywhere. a railway model kit uh, still available today yes. for any model makers it's the perfect source for getting the correct scale throughout the shows mainly Thunderbirds parts of this kit are virtually everywhere the original model makers must have got through hundreds of these kits and he provided some selected photographs and also said oh I just had a thought regarding kit bits running a cycle parts of the Airfix Eagle Transporter were used on Terrorhawk Spacehawk uh, that's yes. from Dave as well as so, lots of big razors Oh, really? Yes, loads of them. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So there you go. Yes, we were looking out for uh, bits of kits that turned up again and again in the various shows. And uh, Dave has spotted a few. Uh, if you've spotted any more, do let us know at podcast at jerryanderson.com and send us some pictures. And uh, also, why not tell us what you think about the new UFO audio series? Uh, tell us what your hopes are for the future of the Jerry Anderson audio series and what you'd like to hear uh, next. And I'll read them out next time. Yes. Good. All yeah. those things. Very yeah. good. Agree. Yeah. Positive. Excellent. Uh, in the meantime, while we wait for people to email us in their droves, would you like yes. some Jerry Anderson news? Oh, I thought you'd never ask. Well, Richard, I'm going to ask you again. Okay. <laughs> would you like some Jerry Anderson news? Yes. Good. Here it is then. Yes, indeed. It's this week's Jerry Anderson news, 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 and you just can't Sorry, I wait. Came too early again. Premature, I'm sorry. Uh, so, really, I should wait till you get the Jerry Anderson bit out of the way first. So yes. Should we try again? Okay. Here comes this week's Jerry Anderson news, news, news. news. I'll just get on with it. Okay, here we go. Let's start with this. Uh, mm. So, let's start with a look back at Jerry Anderson Day from last week. Well, wasn't it wasn't it fun? Oh yeah. Did we have a nice time? If you want to get any of the freebies from the week that was, including free. 
Terrorhawks Audios, Chris Dale's marvellous supercar story, and all the rest of it, uh, make sure you go to jerryanderson.com where you may notice that the website looks slightly refreshed. We'll talk about that in a moment. Obviously, Space Precinct in HD was the big news. Richard, obviously, that made you very happy. Uh, I've got some questions from people that I'm going to give a quick answer to, even though this is the news, very, very shortly on that. But we hope you had a great time. Cycling tops and uh, soundtrack news. I mean, it was an exciting week and always a nice way to celebrate Dad's life and legacy. So thank you to all of you who were involved in having a great Jerry Anderson day. Now, Space Precinct, hopefully lots of you have been watching it on ITVX Premium and BritBox. Amazing. If you're outside the UK, then I'm sorry, but you can't watch it just yet. But don't lose hope. We are working on ways that maybe you will be able to see it. Fantastic. So uh, a few of you have been asking about Blu-rays, and uh, yes, a Blu-ray is a distinct possibility. Uh, it's something that I'm having discussions about right now. It's not going to be imminent, but... Mm, it's a it's a strong possibility, let's say. On the new jerryanderson.com website, what do you think? Have you been there, Podstrons? I mean, we'd love to know your thoughts. It's going to be an ever-evolving beast. We're working hard to do new show pages and various other bits and pieces that will give you everything you need to know about every Jerry Anderson show in every way possible. So please do uh, have a look there and let us know your thoughts. Podcast at jerryanderson.com. This Sunday is World Book Day. Core. So expect some fiction book offers this coming Sunday. Before that, though, it's Farewell Friday. As I may have mentioned, we are ending some designs on the store of T-shirts and hoodies and stuff to make way for new stuff. Uh, all ahead of a warehouse move. So... This Friday, you'll see a post and an email, if you're on our email list, about some designs that are going away. They will not be coming back, so make sure that you grab yours uh, before they disappear. And on this imminent warehouse move... Oh, that sounds great! Yes, we are moving warehouse. We're going to a, a new fulfilment centre, which we're hoping will be even better and more efficient for uh, all Ander fans across the globe. On which note, we have hopefully, in a couple of weeks' time, uh, a nice announcement about how things are going to improve for our lovely international fans because we really do love and appreciate you and we know sometimes you get a bit of a raw deal with stuff being sent via international post and it taking forever etc etc so we've been working on a solution for that and I hope to bring you news in the next couple of weeks so there we go Ooh, nice whistle stop tour that's the end of this week's Jerry Anderson news that was the news, the exciting news. I think we can all agree uh, it, it was, was very exciting. exciting. Yeah. Wasn't it? Very nice. Thank you. Yeah, good. Will there be more news next week? Uh, can't guarantee it, but I will right. do my best to find some. Imagine, imagine if one week there was no news in the Jerry Anderson <laughs> news. Uh, we yeah. just have to sit here drumming our fingers for a couple of minutes, haven't we? Well, we could make it up, I suppose. I suppose so. If, if like, next like the rest is... of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm hoping at some point... Yeah. Uh, we'll have a podcast that arrives on an April Fool's Day. Oh, no. And then we could no. do a whole April Fool's podcast. Oh, no. Would that be fun? Has that not happened yet? It hasn't, has it? I don't think so, no. What What are the chances? How long do we have to wait statistically for that to happen? Um, well, hmm? I need to... Uh, shall I? Uh, maybe I can ask ChatGPT. Okay, you work that out while I head over to our Facebook group. Please do. Uh, where people have been posting all sorts of gubbins about their uh, Jerry Anderson lives. Now, Chris Dale posted, For those interested in such things, the total length of every episode of The Randomizer, recorded up to pod 253, now runs to just over 103.5 hours. That's just The Randomizer. 
And it's probably more time, says Chris, than I've ever spent talking to any single human being over the course of my entire life. <laughs> so if you've got 103 hours to spare, uh, you can listen to the uh, the uh, uh, randomizer. Matt Alcock said, So I recently stepped into watching a lot of Japanese movies by Toho Studios and was struck by some of the similarities to Jerry's work. Highly recommend 1959's Battle in Outer Space in particular. If you can't find a copy, it felt like a mashup of Captain Scarlet and UFO with some great miniature effects. And apologies if it's been mentioned before. I'm so far behind on the pod, it's getting ridiculous at this point. So, Matt Alcock probably won't hear this for another six or seven months. Or years. Or years, indeed. So, I hope the future's nice there, Matt. Um, Richard James, I've got some amazing news for you. Go for it. Well, would you believe it Hmm. that next year... What? 2024, April the 1st, will fall on a Monday. Ah, will it now? So, we will have an April Fool special. (laughs) Ah, that's brilliant. <laughs> Monday the 1st of April 2024. Oh, I so look forward and to that. if that mm. goes well, mm. we have a mere six years to wait for the next one. Right. Uh, yeah, well, April the okay. 1st, 2030. I see. Okay. There you go. But then we've got a, a while to wait after that. Uh, okay. There is another well, one for, Oh, next year. That's brilliant. Yeah, for some time. So there we go. <laughs> so see, see you Start in 2024. Thinking. Yeah. Okay. Now, Hannah's been posting pictures on her bedroom wall. She says, I finally found a suitable place for the print of Thunderbird 1 that I had received from the concert last year, and I will treasure it for years to come. And it does look rather smashing on her wall as well. Uh, Scott Bicleeky says, I was watching uh, Series 6, Episode 1 of It Ain't Half Hot Mum, and I've forgotten about the special guest who was on the episode. Well, now I can tell you, it was Captain Blue, Colonel Straker himself, Ed Bishop. He played an American film director, although the character was a bit short-tempered, but Ed was brilliant on it. Oh, that's on uh, It Ain't Half Hot Mum. Of course, famously features Windsor Davis. Mm. Uh, Terror Hawks, Windsor Davis. Uh, now, going back to the randomizer, Matthew Mayhew. Matthew Mayhew. Great yep, name. Indeed, posted. So the randomizer has passed the 250th episode today. Thanks, Chris and Marina, for all the interesting antics and commentary. The randomizer is still randomly selecting things. Well, the observed selections aren't statistically significantly different to what is expected at the start, he says. Right. But the randomizer has shown us all of what remains of Twizzle, yes. suffered 14 rounds with Torchy. Sang 16 times with Tex, journeyed anywhere 16 times in supercar, taken 17 trips with Robbie the Robot, brought Marina home 18 times, <laughs> holidayed 17 times with the Tracy Boys, I've counted the two separate eps for the Thunderbirds I Go movie, heard 17 Mr. On Threats, brainwashed Joe 16 times, Gosh. attended six of Father Unwin's sermons, went to the Mirror Planet twice, had 11 meetings with Commander Straker, Brought 20 avenues and alleyways across Europe, learnt what the investigator was, been into infinity, waited for the eagle to be serviced 19 times, avoided the Zeefs uh, 15 times, joined two of Dick Spanner's investigations, went to Precinct 88 15 times, voyaged on the Paradox 12 times, and attended 12 briefings on Skybase, taken two sidesteps on tangents to the Andiverse. So here's to the next 250 randomizers. Wow, what a great isn't range that of stats. Amazing, yeah, <laughs> isn't it? Incredible. Yeah, and lovely, as you'd expect that the randomizer has has so fairly evenly given us yeah. about half the episodes of everything. Absolutely right, pretty much. <laughs> there you go. Well done, Matthew, on, uh, on compiling that list. Yes. That's really good. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so if you'd like to comment on anything, Anderson, that you've been enjoying, do head on over to our Facebook group. That's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash... 
Podstron. Well remembered. I thought you were going to tell off then. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and uh, leave your comments and pictures and yeah, anything you like, really. Anything Jerry Anderson related or even beyond. We're always happy to hear from you. Well, if the randomizer can go tangential towards tugs, then so can you. Exactly. Yes. Uh, But perhaps a screenshot of last week's mentioned Keeping for Appearances episode. Oh, yeah. uh, Where Onslow describes himself as International (laughs) Rescue. Perhaps you could take that and Photoshop it and put an International (laughs) Rescue sash on him. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying you should do that, but you could. Mm, It would all be acceptable. Yeah, yeah, it would, for sure. Uh, Yeah, all for now. Okay, well, I've kind of brought us in a nice segue with the dressing up mention, quite by chance, to this week's interviewee. Oh, yes, go on. Not necessarily a name you might know, but you may have seen him around. Lloyd Scott. Hmm. He's famous for running marathons for charity while wearing elaborate costumes, don't you know? Uh, is he now? Yeah, so Lloyd has run as a deep-sea diver, the Iron Giant from the film The Same Name, Indiana Jones, and even crawled as wow. Brian the Snail from Magic what? Roundabout. Yeah. Wow, great. Uh, now... Lloyd is currently battling cancer of his own, uh, previously raised money for various cancer charities, but this time he is running what he believes will probably be his last race, so a very meaningful one, dressed as Captain Scarlet. Now, you may have seen him on BBC News, on the BBC News website and various other places. It's a fantastic costume. We're very glad he's doing it. Uh, So here is producer Ben talking to Lloyd Scott. Well, this is Ben Page for the Jerry Anderson Podcast. And I'm here with Lloyd Scott. Hello, Lloyd. Hi, Ben. How are you? I'm very good. Yeah, SIG. Yeah. You're looking SIG. Lloyd, uh, for people who might not know, who who is Lloyd Scott? Just kind of like the elevator pitch of, of you. Uh, well, I'm probably best known as being uh, that bloke uh, that does the London Marathon in um, a variety of costumes. Uh, most notably a deep sea diving suit. Yes. And then I've done it as St. George and Indiana Jones and the Iron Giant and the Beatles and even Brian the Snell from the uh, Magic Roundabout crawling around the course. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've done other fundraising events around the world. Uh, I did an underwater marathon in Loch Ness and uh, I cycled a penny farthing across Australia. That was interesting. Um, wow. So, yeah, I, I've um, been doing fundraising most of the uh, most of my adult years anyway amazing amazing so let me uh let me take you back before those adult years let's rewind a bit get some background so this is the jerry anderson podcast and i i can tell that our listeners won't be able to see because this is an audio podcast but you're decked out in a a impressive captain scarlet t-shirt so i can tell you're you know captain scarlet Uh, absolutely how did you how did you encounter the Anderson universe? Well, I, I, I suppose it goes right the way uh, back. I mean, I'm actually old enough to have actually watched the series when they first came out. Oh, I wouldn't 60- have believed it, Lloyd. No, I've, I've not. Um, I haven't had to uh, rely on um, reruns and things. Um, but I remember as, as a kid, uh, you know, Thunderbirds was um, was the first one, and I absolutely love that. Uh, and, and I can remember having, I think it was a JR21 toys at the time. Mm. Uh, Thunderbird 1, Thunderbird 2 with a little Jeep in it, and a Thunderbird mm. 3. And um, yeah, I just, just used to love that. And um, I, I can recall actually a, a time when I went into hospital as, I don't know, four or five year old or something like that. 
I think uh, I had some stomach pains. Uh, and I made friends with a little boy in the bed next to me. Hmm. And we, we got on like really, really well. And one morning, uh, he had to have a um, an injection. And he obviously wasn't very happy about it. And the doctors came round. And I remember they pulled the curtains around his bed. And, uh, of course, this is my new best friend. Yeah. So I actually had taken into hospital with me my Thunderbird 1. And um, when I heard him starting to cry, uh, I picked up my Thunderbird 1, jumped off my bed, uh, pulled back the curtains, and um, I, I kind of hummed the Thunderbird thing. I went Thunderbirds to the rescue um, <laughs> to try and save this little um, to save my new best friend from having his injection. Um, Amazing. Yeah, I mean, goodness, that was you know, a, a long time ago. Uh, but for me to be able to remember that uh, mm. and the impact that um, that Thunderbirds had at that time, you know, it just, just shows you what influence that the Jerry Anderson and the Thunderbirds series uh, had on me, yeah? Yeah. And so I guess uh, from Thunderbirds, but what was it that stuck with you about it or appealed to you about it? Was it the vehicles? Um, was I it think, the characters? Well, I mean, obviously, I love the machines. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I always liked Thunderbird 1, to be honest. I yeah. love Thunderbird 2, but, but my surname being Scott, there might have been a bit of a... Um, a, a bit, bit of a, a, uh, a bias there. Yeah, sure. A bit of a bias there, you know. Yeah. I'm a and, Thunderbird one guy myself, so I can I can yeah, relate. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I mean, I've got some Thunderbird ones around my desk, a pencil case, a coaster. Yeah, so yeah, um, lovely. Yeah, definitely a Thunderbird one. And um, how did you feel when uh, when Captain Scarlet started coming out? Did that feel like a different show to you? Did you recognize that they were yeah, the same yeah, kind yeah. of? Uh, yeah, it was video? a different show, and I think I was probably. Um, at the right age for it, mm. um, a little bit, a little bit deeper, a little bit darker, yeah. uh, a little bit more intrigue, and I think the fascination for me with it was that I possibly didn't quite understand it, or right. I didn't quite get all the nuances with it. Mm -hmm. but in a way, that made it more intriguing for me. Yeah, so watching it and enjoying it. But there was this kind of edginess. I'm thinking, I'm not quite sure I get that or what, what's happening here. Or, but in a strange way, that actually kind of added to the um, the attraction of it and the draw to it, that, that it had this kind of um, element, whereas Thunderbirds was just, you know, uh, people in a situation in trouble when they, when they came to the rescue. Um, <laughs> so I think when that... When, Captain Scarlet came out and I started watching that. You know, I, I was of the age to actually progress from Thunderbirds. And, and that's why, you know, I find the Captain Scarlet uh, series so intriguing. Yeah. It has a bit of that uh, kind of like a Bond film thing where a kid could watch it, but there's there's stuff from the adult world creeping in that you maybe don't quite understand. And you... Exactly, you, exactly. Yeah. It just yeah. makes it that much more aspirational. Now, now that's a show that has has some characters that I suspect resonated with you. What was appealing about Captain Scarlet besides the vehicles? I, I, obviously the vehicles too. Captain Scarlet or Thunderbirds? Oh, Captain Scarlet. Captain Scarlet. Yeah, um, 
I just think that, um, again, where uh, I know you had in Thunderbirds, you had the hood, uh, yes. but there was more of a good versus bad element in, in Captain Scarlet, as, as there is like with the, with the Bond things. Uh, you know, there's, there's obviously the Mr. Ons, uh, and that was like quite spooky because you couldn't actually see them. Mm. Uh, and then the Mr. Ons were personified with, uh, with Captain Black. So um, there was this kind of real uh, trade-off between uh, good and, and, and evil. And then you had like uh, Colonel White, who was a bit like an M character, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, from, from Bond. Yeah, I mean, uh, Lieutenant Green, I, <laughs> I don't really want to say his money, Penny, but um, in the 2005, <laughs> he, act, uh, he actually becomes a sheep. Um, he does. So That's correct. It, yeah. There's that kind of money penny uh, element as as well, mm-hmm. um, uh, and I suppose as well with the, the Captain Scarlet and, and that coming up to you know by by present day why I kind of chose the costume um, to do the marathoning. There was always like a kind of reassurance. There is like with Bond, it's always like how's he going to get out of this, mm-hmm. um, and there is a, a, an element of that with uh, with with the Captain Scarlet as well. Yeah, I mean, he always comes at back. The, at the time, he didn't realise it, but it was really groundbreaking because you know you yeah. had Lieutenant yeah. Green uh, has you know um, as a I don't know whether the politically correct way to say it, but somebody from a uh, an ethnic minority or a different cultural background. Yeah, uh, and you had the angels there, you know, yeah. ladies um, uh, flying the uh, you know the planes and. You know, this was the 1960s, so yeah. really, really ahead of its time, even even from that perspective, uh, and preceding that with Thunderbirds and, and um, mm-hmm. you know, Lady Penelope and Cincy. So, you know, hats hats off, uh, well, well, well ahead of its time in, in terms of, um, you know, equality. Yeah, absolutely. Did you find uh, Captain Scarlet's indestructible quality did you find that that detracted from the drama in any way to know that he he couldn't get hurt or he he would always recover no not not really because it, it wasn't just about oh he's gonna he's gonna die and he's gonna come back the next time um there was the real element of not so much that but i think uh, jerry anderson put into that particular series that not every mission was successful you know, regardless of whether he lived or died or not. I think it was even the second or third episode, the Asian president dies. I mean, they, they yes. kind of put that I in remember. fairly just to make sure that not every episode was actually going to have, you know, a, a happy ending. So yeah. it, it wasn't so much about, for me, it didn't take away anything uh, mm-hmm. that Captain Scarlet was uh, indestructible because there was this added element of, of actually whether or not uh, uh, the Mr. On's threat and, and, and the mission would actually uh, succeed or fail. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a big change from, from Thunderbirds where they, you know, they were victorious every time. They were, they were always victorious, the Thunderbirds. Did Joe 90 cross your path at all? The subsequent show about the boy with the glasses? Yeah, I started. I started looking, uh, watching the Joe Knighty. It never really. I don't know. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps because it was a boy. 
Mm. When I was growing up, I, I, I don't know, but it, it didn't hold the same, um, probably stingray at the other at the other end, right? Kind of, you know, I, I kind of love that was but was perhaps a little bit too young to really appreciate it. Sure. So really, it was the uh, the Thunderbirds and the Captain Scar that were my kind of um, influential years, I suppose. Uh, yeah, uh, and then by the time they got to. UFO and Space 1999, did those enter your sphere at all, or were those kind of also past the point where you were being influenced? I think probably by that point, I was then actually into like James Bond. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty, um, I am hoping to do something later this year with a James Bond thing to it. So, oh, um, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that'll be very, very, um, uh, interesting. Yeah. That'll be very exciting. So, uh, Moving on from the Anderson stuff, you you saw it and you were influenced. Oh, one more thing, uh, yeah. I wanted to ask about uh, if the if the the fact that they were puppets. I'm an American. You can probably tell by my accent. And in America, there's not as many uh, puppet shows or puppets aren't as influential as perhaps they are in the UK. And I wonder if that if that crossed your schema while you were watching it that the shows were puppets, or if you just kind of accepted it from being. On telly. Good question. Good question. No, I mean, I, <laughs> no, not really. Um, I mean, obviously, you knew that they were. But yeah. the other thing is that you, you know, the, these were the times before uh, CGI and, and stuff like that. So you could actually have these um, these massive machines and the set pieces that they had. Uh, you know, uh, it, it wasn't fed into a computer or anything like that and generated. They actually had to do this. And, and you know, you, you can't have a 200-foot-long Thunderbird 2 or what have you. You know, so the fact that uh, they managed to be able to re, uh, reenact or reconstruct what what was going on, really you put the fact that they were puppets um, to, to one side, yeah? Yeah, that makes sense. So so moving on, you're... you're later years and you're growing up and you're starting to think about careers and other influences. Where did the, uh, where did the kind of athletic side of you start to come in? Uh, well, I was always very sporty at school. So I played, uh, football for school in the district and I played cricket for the district and the county. Uh, and then I got asked to sign for a professional football club called Leighton Orient in East London. Uh, from then, I moved on to Watford and then Blackpool. So there's always a very, very kind of sporty uh, element about me. Yeah. But then after I finished football, I became a fireman. So there was that, that international rescue kind of, you know, wanting to save people. Yeah. Um, I, I can remember, actually, my uh, ex-wife, she came from Blackpool. And there was a mm. shop up there that, that imported all the stuff from Japan before uh, we're talking probably mid eighties, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I, every time we would, we went to Blackpool, I'd go to this shop and buy, you know, everything that I possibly um, could. So you know, I, I maintained that that love of the um, of the Anderson series right the way through. Oh, that's in, great. Uh, my my twenties, and then um, as a fireman, I rescued two small boys mm. uh, from a house fire, uh, and I inhaled. Uh, some smoke in doing so. Uh, I was taken off to hospital and had some routine tests. 
and it alerted the doctors that something wasn't quite right. And then further tests revealed that I actually had uh, leukemia, uh, not caused by the smoke, it, it, just the, um, uh, the circumstances have brought this to life. Um, wow. And it was, um, uh, obviously, it was like quite a shock because I was still like, very healthy and running and going on duty as a, as a fireman. But then it, it, it was odd that I almost had this kind of, uh, I don't know what it was, uh, almost like a comfort zone or a, uh, I, I started to think back when I was a kid hmm. and uh, there were things like Rupert the Bear, the Rupert annuals I used to get for Christmas. But obviously, of course, there was the Thunderbirds. Yeah. And um, I think at the time, uh, the Thunderbirds were just being released on a video uh, right, like uh, on on a, a VCR video cassette. Yeah, and you know they, they were being released at like one a one a month or something. And right. you know I I'd go down to the local HMV and and you know wait for this uh you know for the, for the next release and then watch the next couple of series and gradually built up uh up, up the collection. So yeah, it was very much um yeah when I was like diagnosed with that and. Uh, just, just some kind of instinctive uh, reaction that I kind of uh, flashed back to my childhood and all the com the comfort and, and, and nice things that I um, that I that I enjoyed and had when I was growing up. Yeah, that's amazing that it that it came back to you. It's weird. I, I've no idea why. I mean, it just yeah. you know I don't want anyone else to have to be in that situation, but it was just something that um, I don't know triggered off, sparked off. I've no idea why, but I just kind of yeah. um, went went back to that. So it's a funny thing, nostalgia. It, it sometimes comes back to people differently in different ways. Like you were talking about how you you collected stuff in Blackpool in in the eighties in your twenties. That you know, a lot of people would put away their comic books, or they were like, "Oh yeah, I went off to college and I got rid of all my toys." But you you kind of like hung on to that for the whole time. And when uh, when you needed it, it was there for you, which is such a cool. Yeah, I, I remember I had a um, there was a international rescue sew on patch that I bought, and I put it on like a blue jumper, and mm -hmm. um, you know it. It was just interesting to see how many people actually recognised what I was actually wearing. Yeah. Lots of people didn't, but people did. Hey, hey, you know. Um, so uh, it, yeah, it, it it never well it never it's never left me ever. So that's great. That's wonderful. Well, what wow. what a fantastic inspirational story, yep. Lloyd. You are fantastic, uh, and yep. we love that you're running as Captain Scarlet. Uh, indestructible, Captain Scarlet. Absolutely, quite right yeah. too. You know, Lloyd's amazing. own story of uh, well, near indestructibility today, and doing all these marathons. What amazing stuff! Yeah, uh, great. Now we'll be talking to, we'll be hearing from Lloyd again uh, very soon. In the meantime, if you would like to donate to his efforts. Uh, to the next marathon of Lloyd Scott MBE, then please go to anderdotson slash great Scott. Um, <laughs> and that will take you to Lloyd's uh, fundraising it. page. So andr.sn slash great Scott, all lowercase. <laughs> um, and you will uh, be able to donate to his fantastic efforts there. Well done, Lloyd. More from him yeah. very soon. That's brilliant. Now, that leads me to ask how many decorated interviewees have we had on the podcast? 
as in SIRs or MBEs yes. or OBEs or yes. CBEs. Yes. I don't think that many, you know. No. Hmm. I mean, I'm trying to think of. We must have some. You'd think. Yeah. Is, Lloyd can't be the first. Podstrons, can you help us out? Can you Come think on, back? Because we can't. Yeah. Have we got anyone who's been on an I mean, honours list? Mm. For services to is he, environmental courses? Is he? I don't know. Is he CBE? Gary, Gary Newman? I mean, I just, you know, might be. I'm, I'm looking up to see. Chris, uh, uh, Chris is a CBE. Oh, there we are. Okay. There okay. you go. So there's one. Good. Surely yeah, Professor excellent. Brian Cox must be must be yeah, one of those think, things. Uh, Gary Newman doesn't appear to be. Yet. Uh, well, yet. Yes, absolutely. This time. Brian Cox is a CBE. Absolutely. There okay. we go. So, okay. yeah, sorry, right, Lloyd. Great. I mean, you're doing amazing things, but you're not the, you're not the most decorated, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keeping your place, honestly. Coming over here. Ideas above your station. Yeah, but he's, he's Lloyd's got MBE and now SIG, I suppose. So Amazing. Great. Well, we'll certainly look out for him in the, in the uh, marathon. That's yes. Fantastic. Great stuff. Meanwhile, over on Twitter, you'll be very pleased to hear, I'm sure, that people have been hashtagging us. Hashtag Jerry Anderson Podcast. They've been tagging me, Richard N. James. Him over there, I'm Jamie Anderson. And him over there waiting very patiently by the big, big red button, Chris Dalek. Bondo Fox tweeted, ah, now this is hashtag Panderson. Let's go back a couple <laughs> we, of weeks. Are we still on to, this? Uh, oh, Can yeah, we not yeah, escape yeah. it yet? <laughs> uh, my guess, says Bondo Fox, is that Jerry cooked nothing in those pans. Mummy A did all the cooking, and I believe she was really good at it. Is that a fair comment, Jamie? Well, she did the majority of the cooking, to be fair. Sure. Yes. However... Yeah. Do you want to hear the soup story now, or should we save that for another time? Let's hear the soup story. Are you Go sure? On. Yeah, you've whetted my appetite, literally. Okay, fine. Well, uh, Dad really enjoyed Thai and Chinese and Japanese food, Ooh, yeah. and he wanted to make himself a lovely Thai soup. So mm. he got a recipe card from Waitrose <laughs> and bought all of the ingredients, um, you know, all, all the special bits and pieces the kind of basil leaves, not, not, is it basil leaves? They Coriander, put I would think. No, there's there's some other leaf, I think. Parsley? I just, yeah, anyway. Fat leaf parsley? Lots and lots of all, all the good stuff, straight off the recipe card. And yeah. he spent many, probably hours, slaving away, following the recipe to the letter, making it. <clears throat> uh, and when he took off the, the pan lid, uh, when it had its requisite time, it had a head on it. Okay. Which was a bit unusual, but, you know, he thought, never mind, that's fine. And uh, yeah. he gleefully made a bowl for himself and a bowl for mum saying I've made this fantastic soup anyway he started uh, tasting it mum took one spoonful and went I'm sorry but this is disgusting (laughs) right Uh, he insisted then I think (laughs) to sort of uh, save his own sense of being a chef uh, and ate the entire bowl okay when mum went to the kitchen to clear up she discovered a rather unusual ingredient that had been oh, left in the no. side there. Now, he'd gone out and bought some Thai fish sauce, which had a bright pink label on. Yeah. When he went to get it, he had mistakenly picked up another pink bottle. Yeah. Uh, which was, in fact, a bottle of um, antifungal skin scrub for the dogs. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> so the reason it had a head on it was because it had oh. chlorhexidine scrub. <laughs> Um, wow. And that's why it had, had the foam. So oh. uh, he then panicked. Mum rang their local vet and said, <laughs> I think Jerry has consumed several, uh, well, uh, tens of millilitres of oh. this scrub, um, to which the vet burst into laughter and couldn't actually speak for God. about two minutes because it was <laughs> the most hilarious thing he'd ever heard. Anyway, he was fine. He didn't suffer any ill effects yeah, other yeah. than a little bit of shame. <laughs> so there's your Panderson oh, story. I love that. That's great. Gosh. 
Well, it's almost worth having the Panderson item in the first place just to hear that. Almost. They're almost worth it, yeah. Uh, very nice. Uh, Peach also tweeted, uh, happy to be told I'm wrong, but I think that I've guessed the Jerry Anderson podcast Panderson. If it were, oh, rather, she says it was one of Grandma Trace's famous pies. One of her grandson, Scoff Trace's favourite dishes. S- Scoff Tracy. <gasps> anyway, uh, on another note, FX Gover says, well, fab facts are always my favourite part of the podcast. Proving that, you know, some people have no taste at all. Ah, harsh. Uh, Chris says, I can heartily recommend the Jerry Anderson podcast now in its 251st show. The hosts are excellent. Jamie, son of Jerry, Richard and Chris. It's a lovely where people just give a general shout out. Yeah. Podcast, isn't it? Just saying, hey, it's guys. Well if nice. you like, Yeah, if you like stuff like, you know, Jerry Anderson, sci-fi, listen to this podcast. We like that. Ah. Uh, Dave Alcock says, uh, UFO. That was a Jerry Anderson live-action slice of brilliance. Brilliant music, had really great scripts and fully deserved a second series. The special effects were a work of genius, given their budget. Uh, Juliana says, Jerry Anderson creations were fantastic. My sister is called Marina, uh, but she hated Stingray and that song. I bet she did. I bet she had that sung to her over and over again at school. Uh, Trigger Happy tweeted, I watched a lot of the old Jerry Anderson puppet show stuff. Thunderbirds, Terrorhawk, Stingray, etc. Dude was a genius. Dude was a genius. What a great phrase. And finally, Anderson Who, uh, so we can guess what their uh, sort of crossover interests might be, tweeted, has there ever been anyone more beautiful in a purple wig and silver dress than Lieutenant Gay Ellis? (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Ever popular. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, uh, do tweet us. Uh, hashtag us, Jerry Anderson Podcast. I'll read out your tweets uh, in a future pod. Probably. Great. Yeah. That's what you do, isn't it? If I get around to it, yeah. I've got nothing better to do. I'll, I'll read them out. You quite often read and say these things. Very impressive. I do. I read and say at the same time sometimes. Yes, absolutely. Well, do you, do you know who else says things? Well, could you narrow it down a bit? <laughs> he says things <laughs> while watching things. Narrow it down a bit more. He says things while watching things randomly. <gasps> is it Chris Dale? It is only bloody ah. Chris Dale. <laughs> uh, and he's just appeared to do his randomizer, yes. Oh, good, good. Excellent. So, very shortly, he will be pressing a big red button on his randomizer and randomly watching a random Jerry Anson episode from a random show. So, okay, well, you say shortly. Do you mean now? I mean, literally now. Oh, hello everyone. Uh, Sorry, no time for a full introduction today, as the button has already been pressed by good old Maya here. Hey. Yes, you know, the uh, the thing, the the piece of paper, remember? Yes, that's the one. Uh, Go on, read out what it says. Court martial. Thank you. Here's UFO. So, we welcome back to the randomizer. It's UFO with Court Marshall. We were here um, not too long ago. Well, it feels like not too long ago, just before Christmas with Reflections in the Water. Paul Foster's in trial, but more importantly... Did I say in trial or on trial? He's on trial, but more importantly, I love this scene of uh, the um, committee sitting down to uh, deliver their verdict because it does look like a meeting of the... Uh, it's, it's less, uh, you know, the, the board members of a court-martial and more like the uh, the meeting of a, 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 a convention of hemorrhoid sufferers. They're all very old men who have to sit down to... Sort of, oh, oh, dear. By the four I've completely destroyed the very serious tone of this opening. That I find myself in agreement with. Paul Foster is on trial. We know not what for. They have found Colonel Foster guilty of the charge as... But he did it. Whatever it was, he did it. Article 183, the sentence is specific. Oh, no. The execution was fixed for 1,200 hours the 19th of next month. Wow. That's a bother. Must be lodged within 14 days. So, no, no time wasted in this episode. 
establishing what is going on. It's all gone wrong for Paul Foster. He's going to be shot. And I, I do like that um, we get the UFO logo on this gradual cut zoom in to the, uh, the shadow logo on the wall. Someone may, must have spent a lot of time making that sticker. It's, a, it's an odd logo, the shadow logo, but it, it somehow works. It's like, what, what do we, what do we, you know, do to create an image of a shadow? We'll just put a man and a, a shadow. Oh, okay. But anywho, has Colonel Freeman left? We're now back in time. Should I contact him? No, that's all right. I'll call him at home. Okay. Uh, Straker's is off home for the night. The place is still busy, even though Miss Eland uh, seems to have gone. Ford is pulling the night shift. In fact, I'm not sure Ford ever goes home. And as Straker leaves his office, what's this on Miss Eland's desk? Hmm. It's a little radio playing music from Thunderbird 6. I believe this is uh, music from uh, Skyship 1, one of the, the lounge scenes in, in Skyship 1. Although, given what we later learned in the story about where that came from, it was... I th are we supposed to believe that Jackson snuck into Miss Eland's office, planted that, and then left? Now Straker is on his way home in his car, and he's being very naughty, very naughty. A, he's phoning up Alec in the middle of the night. Alec obviously is in bed. No doubt after a, a full evening of uh, uh, spent with a lady and um, not at all on his own. Um, but he's he's on the phone while he's driving. Asleep. Hope I and of course he has to dial the number in before he um, he picks it up. There's a few things I want to check. But this uh, this sequence actually could be re-edited into a, you know, beware the, the dangers of driving while on your mobile phone. Don't say anything. I've got an E alarm. Oh, no, an E alarm. Not the elephant alarm. So he's taking his eyes off the road for, oh gosh, a good five or six seconds there. And wouldn't you know it, he nearly crashes into a, a lorry carrying vans from Joe 90. And that is, you know, that is what happens if you don't pay attention. Old props from Joe 90 will uh, will come to thwart you, nearly kill you. Yes, I'm fine, Alec. It's a bugging device. Somebody's out to get us, Alec. I've got a pretty good idea who it is. Yeah, considering how we were introduced to Alec in the first episode, with these, you know, he's the real ladies' man, and oh, the ladies can't get enough of him, at least in his mind. It's, it seems like he's sleeping in a single bed, which is like, it's just that little tiny peek into Alec Freeman's home life. Just show us where we sharpen our knives. And that's Louise Pajo as, um, uh, is it Miss Scott? Sir. I don't worry, Miss Scott. It was Miss Scott, yeah, General Henderson's secretary. But who's this working with General Henderson as well? It's our old friend. Jackson, and in previous episodes, the most unpleasant he he has been a friend. You know Jackson, of course, of course. But now, for some reason, and ears of the world, we hate him, and he's been redefined slightly. Freeman, I shake hands, but you know how it is. I can't bear to touch anything slippery. Yeah, um, he's only presented this way for this one episode, and it's really weird. Um, because he's he's been an ally. He was clearly working for Shadow in... Well, the only previous episode we saw him in prior to this was he was in Exposed, because he was part of the Operation Foster, uh, and he was also in Foster's dream sequence in Ordeal. Standard Mark Four. So something has happened. He's, for some reason, left Shadow and gone over to Henderson Three miles. for a week. Uh, I, I like, actually... Um, an explanation in, I think it was Chris Bentley's Complete Book of UFO, 
in the Jackson character biography, he says, oh, Jackson did this temporarily, and he felt really bad about it. So he went back to Shadow to try to make amends for how he behaved in this episode, which I think is a really nice character touch. It would have been not represented in the, the series at all, but... I'm glad somebody tried to explain it because it's a really odd um, shift in how the character is presented. Joe Kennison, you have got yourself a major security breach. You'd better believe me. Yes, uh, someone has leaked information about uh, a skydiver rendezvous with a supply ship. HQ under the studio. To put it bluntly, someone you know, work with every day, is a security hazard. Oh, who could it be? Just give us the details. We'll find out who it is. If you don't. We will. And I was going to make a joke, actually, of, um, you know, oh, Shadow is a real sort of, you know, collection of fine, uh, fine uh, intellects and, and reliable people. But actually, Shadow's um, reliability rating is quite high compared to something like, like Spectrum, where everybody everybody behaves like they've just taken a frying pan to the head in certain episodes. Um, but normally everyone in Shadow is, is reliable and smart, trustworthy. Well, don't forget the contract is subject to the director's approval. Oh, of course. And this is a key scene that's played um, you know, almost, almost like it's it, it's nothing. It means nothing to the story. It's so short. That's what what um, makes it noteworthy in a way. This little scene of Foster having a meeting with a, a film director, known for years, not a film director even. It's it's a, it's an agent of an actress played by I think the actress's name is Pippa Steele. We've got a flock shot of Alec just there as well. The coded message to Skydiver, the one that was leaked. Authorised and sent by Colonel Foster. Oh dear. Do we know a Colonel Foster? Well, there's this guy. I like this as well. He's um, playing with, with the uh, the back projection screen or whatever it's called uh, that's set up to display a, a roller coaster. And he's in a roller coaster car. A striker just wanders into frame. This stuff is, is a very... Something new every day. A very clever way to integrate what is an essential part of this story, the film studio part with the shadow security part. I mean now, get rid of the crew. Ooh, this is serious. But I also like as, as high as Foster has risen within shadow. Okay boys, take an early lunch. I'll leave the machine running, will you? I want to see the rest of those shots. He's also doing quite well on the film business side of things. Uh, I don't know if he's a director there or exec producer or something, but he's uh, clearly in a position of authority. It kind of makes what happens to him here all the more unfortunate because he was having a good day up till now. He's like, I'm a happy film guy, I'm a happy alien fighter guy, and I've not done anything wrong, nor am I ever going to do anything wrong. What's all the fuss about? You transmitted this three days ago. Yeah, but this is... Uh, this is the alien stuff, isn't it? And we better go to your office or something. Worried about security? Maybe I feel just as secure right here. Hmm. And it's an interesting callback as well to the very first meeting of, of Straker and Foster. There's that dangerous side to their initial meeting that hasn't really been present between the two of them. Thank you, Foster. Until now, it's come back. Yes, what? Yes, sir. That's better. Let's keep it that way. And although Foster sent the crew out, I always thought it would be funny if there was like one guy, like one old guy asleep in a chair who didn't get the OK guys go off and take an early lunch and heard all of this waffle. Details, time. About security procedures and um, security leaks and so forth. Did you talk about it to anyone else? Now this conversation is it's taking place uh, on the waterfront in Venice. Out now we're on a, 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 a tropical beach with palm trees. The newspaper. The newspaper? Yes. 
getting the exact time and position of skydiver's rendezvous with the supply ship. And very cool, the Straker walks off the set and he has to look back at Foster in front of the screen, who's still standing on his tropical island. Pat Henderson on the line. There's been another security leak. It concerned a routine flight from Moonbase. Who planned and authorised it? Foster. But he's innocent. Obviously he's innocent. What do you think I've done? I'm not thinking anything. I'm interested in facts. But it's all about to take a very serious turn. And Foster's doing his best to to accept it all, but unfortunately... Shadow is run as a military organization. We're at war. You realize the penalty for espionage. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, we already know. He's, uh, he's already scheduled in for that execution thingy. But it's an interesting way to tell the story. It's a, it's a great hook set up. Foster's guilty of something. He's going to die for some reason. And then we gradually have to put the pieces together like this. And it's... It only takes, like, the first half of the episode, but there's no... Unlike certain early episodes of UFO, there's no real scenes of padding. Everything, uh, Every scene kind of builds on the last, and we get this gradual unravelling of what he's supposed to have done. Three minutes to nine. I've already had ten scotches, and I'm just going to put the glass down now. Right. right. Alec Freeman <laughs> and that drinks cabinet. <laughs> oh, dear. Now we're meeting in a, a room. This set, I'm not sure, appeared in any other episode apart from. I think it was used in Close Up. It was the um, sciencey engineering lab in that episode. It's a very small room. I convene this court martial. Quite effective as a set, but I'm not entirely sure what goes on in this room when it's not being used for for court martials and science. Everyone stuff. in this room is under oath to speak the truth. Prosecuting officer may proceed. So Henderson is in charge. Jackson is prosecuting. Accused. Foster is obviously the defendant slash accused. Under Section 8 of Shadow Security Regulations. I intend... Straker's here. Freeman's here. Masters, Ford and Waterman are all also here. First crime that can be perpetrated against our organisation. Espionage. They also have a really nice, uh, quite large picture of uh, Moonbase on the wall. This is right to speak at this time. Very well. The prosecuting officer will proceed. My first witness... <gasps> Who's it going to be? Lieutenant Ford. Oh, that's surprising. And this is a nice sequence because it actually gives Ford and, to a certain extent, Waterman... You are Lieutenant Keith. More interesting things to do than they would normally get. Oh, yes, sir. Do you recognise uh, the apparatus on the table beside you? Ford yes, I I explaining the principles of this... This little box thingy. ...used in shadow control. And getting carried away with the explanation. Will you... Tell us how it works. It's a nice bit of, of comedy for Keith Alexander. There's a series of electro scanners positioned in series. Lieutenant. We're very stupid. Can you dial it down? Keep the explanation as simple as possible. Yes, sir. The information is inserted here. In what form is this information? Handwritten on a standard input docket. Like this? Yes. I also like how Jackson behaves with his... Uh, his witnesses. He's very friendly and very chummy to the certain extent that with Waterman it, it, it almost um, he, he ends up basically humiliating the guy but this device is programmed it's almost a respect from Jackson for Ford and his knowledge it's a very nice way to treat a character who I mean in early episodes was just credited as shadow radio operator a message for transmission but now it's like this is an actual person he knows his stuff. He's very clever. He's, as Jackson said, that he's a senior op officer in, in Shadow HQ, despite the fact that, depending on what episode you watch, he's either been there for ten years or five minutes. Colonel Foster's. And Colonel Foster's. Oh, no. I see. Yes. Foster is one of the few people allowed to use the machine. And transmit it automatically. 
Yes, sir. But a record is kept of the input. Yes, in the coder's memory bank. So that if you, uh, for example, wanted to, Lieutenant, you could check the content of a transmission. Yes, sir. And so could anyone else in the control room at the time. So anyone can see what messages were sent out. However, there is one barrier to that. You check the content of the transmission. You select the relevant number on these keys and the information is printed out. On another card similar to this. Yes, sir. It's also nice that Jackson understands the world of shadow that he's he's up against here. In code, as it was transmitted. He's not just about the medical and, and psychiatric side of things. He's, he's also interested in the technical stuff. Realising that, yeah, anyone can call up the information, but... the last computer run of this guy? They then need to decode it with a computer run. Two weeks ago, and the transmissions concerned in the security leak were both sent within the last five days. It's all, Lieutenant. Ford has this little sad look over at Foster. He's like, oh, I wanted to help my friend, and I blew Waterman, it. Waterman, come forward, please. And here's someone else who's going to completely blow it. Captain Lou Waterman, at present commanding officer skydiver. But next week, considering the uh, random nature of the episode broadcast orders, I could be back on the moon. I might not even be on the show anymore. So at present, commanding officer skydiver. Transmitted to a submarine but this by is Colonel Foster. No. Jackson dialing down the volume of his voice. Well, until we receive confirmation... Luring Waterman in. For some reason, I don't know what he thinks Waterman is... Uh, why he's doing this to him, but... For security reasons? Without whispering. Yes. So neither you nor any of your crew could have leaked the information? No. Would you mind speaking up, Captain? No, <laughs> thank you. It does. I was just thinking, though, actually looking at Jackson and the way he lured Waterman in there for no reason. It was like watching a snake, um, sort of toying with its prey. <laughs> it's a very oh, it's a very fun um, fun character is Jackson. I also love the idea that uh, you know no one on, on Skydiver obviously would have um, would have broken that that news to anyone, mainly because nobody talks to those poor people on Skydiver. Well, you be. I'm going to see Ed Straker. He's supposed to be the head of the studio. Here we have a disgruntled film director, film producer guy, played by Neil McCallum. Colonel Straker, is Colonel Foster a friend of yours? He's an officer serving under my command. But is he also a friend? Not in the sense you mean. We only went on a few dates and we ended it mutually. Hi. In your opinion. Yes, this is an episode that I feel the Straker-Foster relationship is probably the strongest in the entire series. I think far more even by the end than uh, than the Straker-Freeman one, um, simply due to the fact that Freeman was gone by the end of the series. But there is an interesting development in, in their relationship where you could almost say, you know, there's not a romance as such, but um, what's the word? Broship. There's, there's something there, uh, and I don't know if it's like a father-son thing or a, um, a sort of mentor-teaching-a-student kind of thing. But there is a definite personal bond. I was going to say link, but it's stronger than link. It's bond. And you see that in, in episodes like this. And, uh, and also Ordeal, I think, is another one where you, you really get Foster's sense of what he thinks he means to Straker. Yes, it is. Uh, Commander, would you read out aloud, please, uh, the last paragraph? And of course, you get, you know, Straker would would go to the bat like this for any of his men if he thought they were innocent. Security risk, and we recommend Class A clearance. 
but there's something between him and Foster. There's some some spark, and I don't know if it's down to the actors or just you will see that uh, how it's written. I was one of the examining officers on that report. Oh dear, that doesn't help. Yes, your signature is here. Because I, I tried to sort of think, okay, maybe maybe this isn't the the real Jackson that we know from the rest of the series. Maybe this isn't Doug Jackson. This is his brother, Dougal Jackson, um, who is. Uh, you know, a, a naughty man who works for Henderson, but it re- I just can't get that whole Jackson working for Henderson thing to fit with the other episodes. It's so... Really, I'm sure it just comes down to the fact we need someone to be the prosecutor. And by far, Vladik Shebal is the most qualified member of the cast, the regular cast, to do that. It just doesn't fit with the character of the rest of the series. And I suppose to a certain extent, you know... It was only after this that he was firmly established as working for Shadow, so it was only in retrospect that this this discontinuity was created. But when you look back over the whole series, this episode kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. And it's there's um, definite proof there that was the same character from Exposed who brought Foster into the organisation. It's all very weird. But there's this guy. Uh, film director, film producer guy, who's working on the, the studio lot, played by Neil McCallum, who was uh, in Thunderbirds Argo. He was um, uh, Dr. Ray Pierce. He was in... He was either Koskoff or Bennett in the Protectors episode One on One Makes One, and he was in four episodes of Captain Scarlet, uncredited. Uh, actually, it may be five if they used one of the... Um, one of those episodes in the clip show episode. Anything else that may proceed. And we also have a, a familiar face here. Far the facts to emerge from. Someone else we were talking about not too long ago on the randomizer, just before Christmas, in fact. material. Jack Headley. There has been no proof whatsoever that he passed on that information to any outside. Person. Who played the Icar Vedra in uh, in the Space Precinct two-parter, The Fire Within. References for the accused. It's a bit of a nothing part. Itself. I call. And this this defending guy, he doesn't really make a good job. He keeps getting presented with witnesses. He says, no, no questions, no. Um, I could make a long speech about why Foster is wonderful, but I'm not going to. Foster, Paul J, 804. Yes, that number matches with uh, what he was given in Exposed. Not guilty. Have you ever passed on classified information to any unauthorised person or persons? Never. Thank you. I rest my case. And then we're just left with Jackson. Colonel Foster, would you say that you have a nervous disposition? And in a way, it's almost like there's a conflict of interest here because Jackson, as the prosecutor, I'm not a nervous person, has carried out psychiatric evaluation of Foster. Reasonably for his, you know, his induction into Shadow. So he part of your training. He has. You know, not personal... Well, yeah, he does have personal experience with Foster. I would have thought that that would sort of disqualify him from from prosecuting him. Colonel Foster, are you nervous now? Are you going to cry? Little crybaby Foster. Please answer my question. Are you nervous now? Why should I be? Yes or no? Answer my question. And I think Ed Bishop said about Vladik Shebal is, you know, when he was in the room... You just, everyone else just had to stop and let Vladek do Vladek. And in the dialogue that he's given here is, you know, it, it's bare minimum. And the lives 
the lives of everyone in it to get the the point across but the way he delivers it the attitude the looks the voice it's just spellbinding he's in every scene vladek shabal steals every scene he's in in this show do not violate section 8 paragraph 5 so he steals a lot of scenes in this episode particularly this one i did not then how do you account for the fact that the press got hold of this information i don't know i suggest you ask the press and i suggest colonel foster that you're lying i did not give classified information to any newspaper so we've gone from shouty jackson to all right colonel foster oh okay it's all right just one more thing here's a photostat of your personal bank account ten thousand dollars was paid in on the tens uh -oh. by an unnamed subscriber Vladdy <laughs> he just twists these basic sentences into just almost roller coasters of interesting sounds i've heard of it very convenient. Uh, the way he says implying now. Implying? Implying? He's brilliant. That the money was payment for espionage, the going price for a traitor, the rewards of a spy. Traitor. I am stating that you sold shadow secrets to the press for the sum of $10,000. I tell you, I know nothing of how that money got there. It's a plant. Someone's trying to frame me. Absolutely nervous now, Foster. Ooh. Yeah, as much as I say, you know, it A is a conflict of interest having Jackson as the prosecutor, B, it doesn't fit with the rest of the series, particularly that moment there where he was like, hey, 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 I've done a good job, I'm so evil. Foster, where did that check? The fact that it is Vladik Shebel is like, it's almost enough to make it not matter that none of this fits with the previous and later um, portrayal of the character because he's just so deliciously evil. Alec. How can we find out about it? A Swiss numbered account? You tell me. Alex annoyed because he hasn't got a glass in his hand at the moment. But here's another nice moment coming up between uh, between Foster and Straker. And it's... Yeah, the, the bond between them is, is an interesting one. Sir, as my commanding officer, do you think I'm guilty? It's just two men... Whatever you say can't affect... Two men just being as open and honest with each other as they can be in the, in the last moments before the verdict comes in. All the evidence in that court-martial says yes, but if you want a gut reaction, no. And that's another interesting part of Straker, and we saw it a couple of times in the, the courtroom scenes there. He's like, he is a man, but he's also a professional, and he's, I think Jackson called him on that and Straker said no as a man my opinions are private therefore none of you are concerned they're coming back in and we're back to the beginning of the episode this is where we came in our meeting of the uh, hemorrhoid sufferers convention three the sentence is specific oh no the execution was fixed I wonder what they're going to do with him hours, the 19th of next month any appeal must be lodged within 14 days he's dead this court martial is closed oh oh oh, oh dear <laughs> these old men <laughs> leaning forward going oh dear Oh, and another long, forlorn looks across uh, across the corridor between Straker and Foster. Oh, I just want to see them rush into each other's arms and hug and never let go. There is a definite undercurrent with Straker and Foster. You can't deny it. It's incredible. I'm drinking coffee and not booze. <laughs> information was leaked to the press. Foster was the only one who knew that information. He told no one his word and the coder transmitter is security proof there must be some other explanation 
Mm. Well, uh, well, there's there's only the the, the two of you who are also uh, in on this information. But here's an, a new character. No, I can't give you the source. I just happened on it by chance. This is actress Georgina Cookson playing. Uh, I think the character's name is Jane Grant. Yes, I certainly do that. Dubbed and by, uh, I don't know if it's Nicky Van Der Zyl, but whoever it is, it's the same voice who dubbed Jane Merrow in the responsibility seat, and it doesn't quite fit. Um, Cookson, because Cookson is a, is, shall we say, a more mature woman, and that's a sort of young woman's voice coming out of her mouth. But here we go. Foster is in a cell. He's being guarded by uh, a familiar extra who has turned up in this show multiple times. Probably did the Protectors and Space 1999 as well. I've seen him turn up in everything from, from Doctor Who to Callan to, well professionals. Shall I ask the doctor to get you something to help you sleep? And I, I don't think he was a stuntman. He was just uh, an extra who... No, thanks. I'll be fine. ...who seemed to do that actiony type things. But Foster has other things on his mind. Specifically, Straker's desk and the blue... I, I love the, the image of the thing, the, the screen behind Straker's desk. That's a lovely kaleidoscope of, of colours. Yes, Foster is thinking about that, that panel in Straker's office. Straker's empty office, for Straker is not there. Sleep well, Mr. Straker. But this guy's here. It's uh, Carl Mason. It's uh, Carl Mason, isn't it? Hmm. Well, recognition at last from the big white chief. You'll have to excuse Yes, it's nice that they invited um, McCallum back to do... I've been trying to talk to you. ...to do this, considering his his roles in the Supermarionation shows and film were relatively small. Hand off me. Oh, no. I've telephoned you a dozen times. But he's always really good in, in things I've seen him in, and he's really good in this as well. Mason, I'm warning you. You say you got troubles? Here's another one you can add to your list. There's a security leak. Yes, and here we go. This is how the studio world crashes into the shadow world. A picture here. Perhaps you... For, it, it didn't happen all that often, but when it did, it was always a welcome... It was nice when a writer would remember, oh, yeah, all of this is taking place under a film studio. A rival company are building a replica. Industrial espionage. Right. I'm giving you just 12 hours to kick Paul Foster out of this studio. What's Foster got to do with it? He's the one guy I discussed this system with. Aha. Where? So there's another piece to the puzzle. Where did you discuss it? In his apartment. To check Foster's apartment. One thing that's uh, interesting with this episode, actually not with this episode, but how it was later used, um, it may have been discussed on Fab Facts a while back. The Italian UFO compilation films, which are, if you've not seen them and you don't speak Italian, they are still great fun to skim through because it's interesting to see how they integrated and linked these episodes. And this one, Court Martial, Foster's Court Martial, as far as I can make out, comes not through all of this stuff, but it comes as a result of his actions in the episode Survival. They hold the court-martial because of him being friendly with the alien, which I think is, uh, is a really clever idea. There's some really fun uh, ways they sort of you know, linked and um, adapted those episodes slightly in those Italian movies, in addition to all the Bond music that they threw around the place. He would have run the standard check every week. Yeah, if you ever want to see um, the final scene of Question of Priorities with the um, Diamonds Are Forever theme playing behind it, go and watch one of those Italian UFO movies. Well, I bothered to call him. He wouldn't be interested unless we come up with something concrete. So here we are in Foster's apartment. Um, not quite the same set as it was in Exposed. But interestingly, it's in the same piece of stock footage 
of the the outside um, building, this tower block, which I think also appeared in an episode of Department S that Neil McCallum was in. So it all ties together. It'll make the appeal stick. Also, there's um, a painting on the wall of some jets and an explosion in the air, which I think was seen and exposed, but he's definitely lost that that spinning bookcase that was in the centre of the room. I was almost sure. There's nothing here, let's go. Straker is still like looking about the place. We've got to find some clue here. Freeman's in the, nah, let's just give up and have a fag stage of lolling on the sofa. And when Mason was here... But this is fun. They they call it environmental therapy, which uh, is an interesting term of sort of working out what happened by going through. What would he do? What, here we are in this place. What would happen? Let's go step by step what he would have done. Environmental therapy. Let's check it again. Hmm. So. They've got a detection meter. Positive. Oh, turn on those lights. For a, a little illuminated garden in the corner of the room. Corner of the room, rather. Okay, Alec. Let's take this place apart. Get a group over here. I, I'm taking my clothes off, Alec. I need to be nude for this. I, I just love that Straker's like, yeah, I'm gonna take my jacket off. This is serious now. But here we go with something that I do find odd about this episode. Especially considering that this is an episode that focuses so heavily on shadow security. Here's another one. They bring over a shadow uh, engineering tech team all in full shadow uniform, with the logos still on their chest. Transmitters and three miniaturized... There's two guys working around in the background there. Lights. And here comes Masters. Now, Masters, to his credit, is wearing his jacket, so the shadow logo isn't visible, but I think those two guys in the background are wearing their logos. It receives and records the data. Then the contact comes along and picks up a tape. And it's, it's just fun that... Well, this is made. Yes, sir. You know, regardless of the fact whether or not they're wearing their shadow insignia, they are still clearly military uniforms that Masters and his men are wearing in this apparently ordinary apartment block. But this was part of a, an interesting uh, period in the show where they were trying to give Lieutenant Masters and John Kelly more to do, get him off Skydiver. In fact, a lot of his dialogue there was strikers i think in the original script and i have this this nice image of Ed bishop saying no 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 i shouldn't be saying all these things give that to john kelly and um yeah that may not have been the way it worked but hey ho maybe maybe not we're now in a little uh, radio shop funny man run by a little funny man now you listen this is private property this is a, an actor named tutti lemkow one is the easy way who did a lot of itc things oh this is fun though because Freeman's about to do something. Here comes a big, muscular guy, and... Oh! Alec dealt with him in one punch. And it was a really convincing little fight sequence there. Peeping Tom. I don't think there was a stunt double for George Sewell. But interestingly, yeah, Tutti Lemkow, I think, was like a dancer and choreographer as well as an actor. But interestingly, there was a scene that I, I know was written. I can't remember if it was shot or not. Where in order to get the information out of him regarding who bought the um, uh, the bugging devices that they found in Foster's apartment, they poured petrol all over him and threatened to set him on fire. And I think it must have been filmed because you can see there's a canister of flammable material just on the corner of the desk. That would have been fun to see. That would have been possibly one of the most... Uh, most intense scenes in the whole series. You can just imagine this guy doused with petrol and, and Straker with this lighter. He's all going, ooh, give me the, give me the answers, ooh. But we didn't see it, alas. We don't find out how they coerced the information out of him, which is a shame. You're a psychiatrist, Jackson. But speaking of information, 
Would you say Commander Straker has an... We're now in Straker's office. Jackson Foster and um, uh, Foster's defendant guy. Then why would he have... Mr. Webb, that's his like name. This behind his desk. Discussing that display window thingy. I've often thought about it. Foster spent the night wondering what it could be. Because very little in the world of Straker doesn't have some kind of... Maybe it soothes his nerves. ...function or uh, alternative use. What would you say is the strongest instinct in man? Love? Hate? And even Jackson doesn't know where he's going with this until... preservation Guards! Foster's going to do something, and it's leaping through that window. Which is not just a window, it's an emergency escape route. Target's Colonel Foster 804. Alert groups 2 and... And that's a fascinating window into the world of Straker, that if the chips were down, he can just clear off and leave everybody. Uh, I, I don't think he would. But it is, like, you know, that last resort... What, one person essentially escape route just one person through that mirror or that window I should say uh, the door closes almost instantly but what I also thought would be would be fun one, one day to do like a video edit of um, Foster going to leap through that window and it turns out it's just a window there's nothing behind there and you just cut, cut to the other side of the window and hear this thud as Foster just hits it and doesn't do anything right at the studio anywho Straker and uh, Freeman Put me through to General Henderson. I've got the information. Priority A. About Miss Grant and her bugging devices from Tutti Lemcow. So I'm going to enjoy. Just like I enjoyed threatening to set that guy on fire in that deleted scene. Foster escaped 20 minutes ago. Groups two and three have been alerted. But you can't do that. I threatened to set somebody on fire for you. My orders are to shoot on sight. But his apartment was bugged. Was it? Was it his way of passing the information? It's going to take positive proof of innocence to convince me. And this is an episode that I had on, on VHS as a kid. I had it on the uh, Digital Entertainment, Volume 5, with the episode Close Up. I got it one summer. And we need it fast. And it was just lovely to have an episode of the show on, on VHS again after. I didn't manage to record any uh, when it was being repeated on BBC. At least the first half of the, the BBC run, they sort of gave up for two years and then finally repeated it. But this is what I mean. Regarding Shadow Security, again, this is an episode so heavily focused on Shadow Security. We have these security guards chasing Foster around the countryside, shooting at him. And these guys, you know, maybe Masters and his men weren't wearing Shadow logos. These guys clearly are. So if any passerby happens to see all this, hey, who are these guys in military uniforms? What's this Shadow thing? Uh, uh, no, we're just dealing with a security leak. What, the security leak like the one you're creating by charging across the countryside shooting at the guy? Uh, yeah. Yes, sir, she's in your office. And here's another. Um, again, another example. Thank you, Ford. Ford is looking after Miss Grant in Straker's office. Again, in full uniform. He doesn't have the shadow insignia, but still... I assume you have a very good explanation. I mean, maybe they could explain to her that he was a security guard, but that does look suspicious. Film studio, producer's office, guy in a military uniform. Found in vision. It belonged to Paul Foster. I also don't get why Ford, of all people, was assigned to, um, to protect her. Told us everything. Then I suggest you send for the police. You know as well as I do, industrial espionage is not indictable. Then I suggest you have me driven home. This is some fun action stuff, though, with Foster just running around the countryside with no no clear cover that he can take. Everywhere's very flat. And these security guards chasing him, none of them get any dialogue. But they all look quite 
physically credible, except uh, I think this might be the shot coming up where they start shooting at him, and one of the actors keeps flinching. Every time he fires his gun, he's like, oh, oh no, I don't like the loud bang, which again doesn't do much for his, um, yeah, this is it. No, no, this isn't it. Carry on. Oh, yes, Foster leapt into a, a pit. This quarry, he's now on a quarry. There's a crane knocking around the place. Again, we're up basically on a construction site. If there had been people working here, oh, all these guys in these uniforms, what's all this about? The shadow security is blown. This is an acoustic gun. I have heard of them. Oh, excuse the pun. Oh, dear. I'm a desperate man, Miss Grant. Armed with a toy gun. But this is another another example of... Sit against your ear and fire. Straker's desperation and callousness. Uh, will pierce your eardrum. I'm also told that the brain suffers varying degrees of damage. And although I think it's a reused prop... Even if I believed that, I don't believe that you're a desperate man. You do believe that Straker would do it. Unless you sign a confession. If it came down to it. Somebody is going to die. Someone I love and care about. Oh, Foster, why didn't I tell you how I feel about you when I had the chance? Yes, there's no no subtlety in these shadow security guards. I love it. it. It's just, I wouldn't, it wouldn't even raise an eyebrow in any other episode except for the fact that this is an episode so focused on shadow security. And in in the court-martial, it's like, shadow security is absolutely airtight. And yet you have multiple scenes outside of the courtroom where it's like, oh, security, whatever, that's, uh, who cares. Oh, but they got Foster. He's down and deaded. That's quite a sad image. A sign here. But she's signing. Straker has threatened her. Luckily, he didn't have to go to the pouring petrol on her stage. He's already done that once today, so once is enough. And leaves her alone in his office. A signed affidavit. Get Henderson. It's too late. He just called. Foster's been shot. And, yeah, the door is still open, so she heard, oh, someone called Foster has been shot. Oh, I... I, I don't know, would she have had the um, mind... the amnesia procedure after this? Or would she have... Um, would she have just been charged under the Naughty Crimes Act? Scott. I'll see if he's in. I have someone to see you, sir. Send Straker right in. Please go in. And it's nice as well that when the the second time we see Miss Scott in this episode, Straker is like, you know, can I can I see him? I'm not just going to blunder through like I did last time. I'm gonna we're gonna have a nice, you know, I'm gonna be polite. Yeah, this is yours. Obviously, he's sad because he thinks Foster is dead. But that was yeah. Louise Paggio later turns up as a nurse in Kill Straker, working oddly enough with Jackson. When you find time between making up wisecracks. It includes a statement which absolutely clears Paul Foster from an industrial spy. Yes, here it all is. This Grant. It's lovely the way the the studio stuff and the, the, the shadow stuff just accidentally intertwines there. And very rare that it happens in this show. Also strange that, is this the only episode in which we don't see a UFO or have anything from the aliens? It's a, it's a UFO-free episode of UFO, which is uh, quite surprising. And there's the OCTOTC um, space station model from Joe 90. As Jackson walks into the room. Yeah, the episode Most Special Astronaut. Now, Jackson looking very sorry for himself. You are wrong, Jackson. Paul Foster was guilty of one thing. He worked nights at home. <sighs> 
Oh, well, it's not a crime, but it's it's still not done. Cameras in the wall were taking pictures. You can prove this. Does it matter? You've killed the only man I ever loved. I only hope it keeps you awake nights thinking about it. And then you, Jackson comes in playing this sort of sheepish and guilty. And then when Straker says that, he's like, ah, I'm just going to look away and feel a bit smug for an as yet undisclosed reason. Foster was shot with an anesthetic bullet. Jackson's idea. I was all in favor of using live ammunition machine gun rounds, but... Um, Don't fall over yourself with gratitude. Jackson convinced me otherwise. This is a fun but odd way to end the scene, though. Just a moment. Straker was recording the whole thing on his pen. It's fun, but why is he recording this conversation? I mean, maybe to as ammunition to use later. I like it. He might have needed a, a transcript of that conversation, but it does sort of undercut the, the the feeling that Straker goes in thinking Foster is dead. Oh no, I'm gonna prank Henderson by recording this conversation. Really, very nice of you to ask us down, mister. Anywho, everything is all right. Foster's back on the production. I just wanted to give you this. And we have one last matter to clear up. Hey, $10,000 into my account, didn't you? Well, yes, but... The money that nearly got him shot. You understand? Sure. When you came down for the screen test, I didn't know what you meant by we can help each other. But now you're right, I do understand only too well. Get yourself a new agent, kid. Oh, come on, don't be like that. Listen, you don't know how much that check nearly cost me. So get out of here while you can still walk. Oh, poor Pippa Steele. She thought she was having a a, a a role in a film, and now her, her, her agent has just ruined it for her. Now wait a minute. Please, no excuses. Believe it or not, this is a film studio. It has a one function. It's very simple. It's to make motion pictures. All right, let's go. Mm. And we close the episode with a long glance between Straker and Foster, as if to say, yeah. I dig you and you dig me, and that's the way it's always going to be. And there we go, that was Court Martial. And what a very unusual episode of UFO. As I said, I had this uh, on uh, on VHS as a kid, and I rewatched this one quite a lot. And it's surprising how much, how enjoyable I always found it, considering, as I said, there are no UFOs, there are no aliens. There's not really much in the way of, of a sci-fi element to this series, uh, this episode, I should say. At all, it's it's more like a sort of mini spy thriller. Security is the 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 main focus of this episode, and we don't really have. I, I'm struggling actually to think of any other court martial stories, and it is a very familiar trope in 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 series in TV drama. But I'm I'm struggling to think of any aside from Takeover in Space Precinct. So here we go, an Anderson series focusing on a court martial, lots of fun character stuff. Yeah, just all-round good stuff. A very atypical episode of uh, an episode of UFO with no UFOs. There we go. It works because of the characters. Good stuff. That was me doing this sort of entitled music. <laughs> I see. That's very music good. I thought you were just sort of being, you know, randomly kind of spooky. And that as well. Yes. Yeah. There you go. UFO. Love, love a bit of UFO, don't we? Love a bit of UFO. Yeah. But I miss the days when Chris Dale used to come in at the beginning of the podcast, mm. and while we were doing the podcast, he'd be like assembling a Jenga tower made of cheese or something. Gosh, I'd forgotten about that. Do you remember it, those wasn't days? Wasn't a Jenga tower made of fudge? Wasn't that? Wasn't it? 
<laughs> yeah, I think that's what we were talking about. Anyway, yeah, yeah, but he's busy uh, these days. You I know, know he's, he's got he's so got much, so on, his much on his stuff. He's been, you know, yeah. that that lovely space precinct trailer that you yes, saw. Yes, that was he his cut work. That, wasn't you it? Know, he was too busy. He can't be. Yeah. He can't be here messing around doing, no, you know, no. origami right. farmyard animals and that no, kind of thing. Like he used to. I yeah, know. he's a busy oh. man. He's very. He's in high demand. Anyway, he's in such high demand. He'll be back next week in pod yeah, two five already, four. He? He's gone. Yes, he's gone off to work. Lots to do. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, okay, Chris. Okay, good. Yeah, look forward to that. Uh, that's all for now. I have nothing else to say from our wonderful posterons oh. except subscribe, rate, oh, yes. review, yes. share, yes. email, yes. Facebook, and tweet us. Yes, yes. That's it. Yes, good. That's all we ask. Yeah, please do all those things and more if you can. But, well, because um, the thing is, if they stop doing those things, there ain't no podcast. That's very that, true. That's the truth of the matter, yeah. isn't it? We only do it for you, posterons. I mean, Richard and I have a bit of fun, but as we've said, we know we could go and do this in a in a pub. Without, we, without the microphones. We could do that, yeah. yeah. Why don't we do that? We should probably do that. <laughs> Welcome to the Jerry Anderson podcast. <laughs> yeah, I like yeah, it. I think we could do that for sure. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Uh, Postrons, yeah. I hope you have a lovely uh, week. And that, yes. um, you know, you're enjoying HD Space Precinct. Yes. Let us know what your favourite episode that you have watched or rewatched has been. And, oh, that'd um, be good. Yeah, we'll be back mm. with you next week for pod 254 to say more things into your clammy ears. And, um, yeah, that's all. All right, then. Shall we go? Yeah, let's go. Goodbye. I think the pub's still open. Bye. Stage one complete. Let's go. If we did go to the pub right now, what would be your order? What would be my order? Yes. If I went to the pub right now, as we're recording this, it's half past 11 in the morning. <laughs> so it's a little bit early doors for me. But I could probably still happily sink an espresso martini. Oh, you grubby Because that would, feel like, that would feel like a morning coffee, wouldn't it? Would it, though? Yeah, I love an espresso martini any time of day, I have to okay, say. Well, well, I tell you what. Now, here's the thing oh, I love to do. So, getting excited now. <laughs> I am now. Sometimes I do like to make myself an espresso martini of an evening. You might just see. I, sometimes I post the results on Twitter. Yes. Uh, and, but what I really love is coming down the next morning and finding that the cocktail shaker, the ice that was left in there has melted with the dregs <gasps> of the espresso martini. And I have a sneaky little sip in the morning. What's an actor's life over there, isn't it? It's a slippery slope, <laughs> isn't it? It really is a slippery slope. Gosh. Well, you heard it here first, uh, Postrons, <laughs> who hang on past the credits. Um, yes, all three of you. Richard drinks morning espresso martinis. It's quite, it's quite rare that that happens. How rare are happen. we talking? Oh, once in a blue moon, you know, every once two or three days. Once a month. <laughs> <laughs> no, once a, month, once a month, once every couple of weeks, something like that. Depends how I feel. Amazing. Well, I can tell you when, uh, when not Richard James, you're Richard James, when Benjamin Field uh, mm. visited very recently, mm. um, we tried some sake. Oh, yeah. And also some brandy. Yeah. And also a couple of little whiskies. 
Okay. And they were all lovely. But it wasn't in the morning. They were in the evening. Right. Um, just after a Sunday roast. So, you know, and, and I'm, Great. I'm definitely not drinking, um, yeah, dregs in the morning. <laughs> Monster. Podstrons, let us know what's your tipple of choice first thing in the morning. <laughs> yes. no, this, that could go very dark. Let's yeah, not do that. Let's, let's not do that. Anyway, no, but <laughs> anyway. if you do want to do that, email us pubcast at jerryanderson.com. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, and for now, I'll leave you to go and have your morning espresso martini. Ah, oh, thank you very much. Right. <clears throat> See you later. <clears throat> oh, cheers. <clears throat> Bye. Bye. Oh, dear. <clears throat> Bloody wino. You have been listening to the Jerry Anderson Podcast. Wasn't it fun? You have been listening to an Anderson Entertainment production.